Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. We have been going through the book of Colossians, and so we are continuing tonight. And uh, the book of Colossians, I thought I liked the book of Colossians, and now as, as I've preach through it. I'm, I'm just, I'm loving the book of Colossians. There's so much stuff in there. So just to recap, uh, you know, Paul has just gone through like giving us a vision for what it looks like to embrace the supremacy of Jesus over all things. Um, he invites us to surrender. And in that surrender, we find the life that we're actually looking for the whole time. Um, it's a little bit backwards. It's the way the kingdom of God works. He invites us to die to ourselves. And in doing that, that's how we actually get to live. And it's just so backwards than what our world thinks. But Paul is writing to real people in a real city, Colossae. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a network of some house churches there in Colossae. And he's writing them a letter to encourage them. They've got all sorts of questions. They're being pulled in different directions by the culture around them. And so it's just as pertinent to us as it was to them um, in, in those days. And what, what I've learned over the years is that oftentimes God is less interested in telling us what to do and more interested in telling us who we are. That he doesn't, sometimes he tells us what to do. We should pray that way. But a lot of times, most of the time, in fact, I think he's, he's just he's trying to tell us who we are um, and, instead of just telling us what to do. And that's a little bit of what Paul has done in this letter. He's just been talking about this is who Jesus is. And because of that, this is who you are. So last week I talked about adoption, that we're adopted in Jesus, that, that we, 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 don't, we don't have to pay for the penalty of our sin, that we are given his righteousness and given his holiness. That was, that was last week. Um, but this week, um, Paul is now going to give the Colossians some practical instruction, and he's going to give some practical instruction to some groups of people. He's going to give some practical instruction to wives, husbands, children, slaves, and slave masters. Uh, this section is commonly known as a household code. It's called a household code. And there's a couple other places in scripture where we get a similar household code. One is in the book of Ephesians chapter five, and then one also in first Peter chapter two. And arguably this, these passages, these household codes are some of the most difficult sections of scripture. They're difficult because uh, we have to understand that there's like context going on. There's like something happening in their, in their culture that Paul is speaking to. And if we don't take that into account, then we can just do a surface reading of some of these verses. And honestly, guys, in 2021, we're, I'm gonna read this, this passage in a second. And there's a couple points where it's like, Ugh, just might make us cringe a little bit, actually. It's like, oh man, Paul, you're not saying what I, what I want you to say in this moment. And so these are very, uh, these, these household codes can be very tricky um, because we just, we have to approach them with a lot of humility. Um, I want to give some context before I read. 
um, before I read the passage. So first, um, I will not be able to, in just these handful of minutes, adequately acknowledge and flesh out all the complexities and the nuance and care that's required to tackle this issue. So I just want you to know, just as a pastor, I am very aware of my frailties as a communicator on a day like today, uh, because there's just so much. I would just love to like, try to give us everything, but then it would turn into a lecture and we'd be here for a long, long time. And so, um, so I can't do all that um, today, but I do, uh, I want to be able to give you just enough just to whet your appetite. I'm hoping in January to do two lectures on this topic and just go deep into what the scripture has to say. But in lieu, uh, before we can do that, I provided a stack of books right here. You see the stack of books? All right, I'm just going to leave them here all night long. After I'm done um, tonight, you can come on up and just be like, oh, this looks interesting. This looks interesting. I want to learn more. I want to read more about this. Um, So I've provided some resources up here for you. Um, Number two is I understand the tension around these topics. It is not lost on me. Um, It's like every time I preach a passage from a passage about giving or tithing, um, I'm always just like, I'm always thinking about the potential new people in the room. You know what I mean? I'm always thinking about like that one time that you invited a friend and finally they came to church and then the pastor's talking about money. <laughs> and you're like, oh man. And we, you know, we're like, we promise he doesn't talk about money all the time, you know? Um, but tonight is a little bit like that night because the t- there's a tension there because, um, you know, I'm going to talk, we're going to talk a little bit about slaves and slave owners. And there's going to be this little part in here about wives submitting to husbands. And so I understand, I understand the tension around this. I understand that there might possibly be some pain points around some of these topics. There might be, you know, uh, when, when we hear Paul talking about slaves and slave owners, you're like, wait, wait a minute, wait, I, is the Bible condoning slavery? And then we read the part about wives submitting and you're like, but man, I, is the Bible like about, you know, patriarchy and, you know, misogyny and like, ah, and so I recognize, and maybe you have had some experiences where the, just these are particularly painful points for you. And so I just, just want you to know that that's not lost on me. And I want to know, it's, we have to dive into it. And how do we hold this stuff together when Paul says things that we, we, that we're not sure, that we would have said maybe differently, you know? Uh, number, another, another thing is we believe, I want you to know this, we believe in the authority of Jesus and we believe in the authority of scripture to rightly represent Jesus. And so um, there's not a single part of the scriptures that's uninspired or unneeded. Um, we have to acknowledge that the Bible has to interpret the Bible and we can't pull sections out just because that we wanna make them say whatever we want them to say. Um, we also have to acknowledge that, and not just acknowledge, but grieve the fact that there is a history of Christians who have abused and misused the Bible um, to massage their own egos, to hold on to worldly systems of power instead of submitting to the vision of the kingdom, which is about giving away power, not holding on to it. We have to acknowledge that there's a history of people claiming the name of Jesus who have done great evils in the name of Jesus who have taken the scripture and abused it and used it um, and and, and misused it. And so we just have to come to passages like this and just allow that, allow that to to kind of bear on just how we talk about it. That, you know, we have to acknowledge that. Um, That should humble us. And yet we have to come to the scriptures and be humbled by them. And so really just underneath all this, where where I want to land tonight is there is a principle in here that I think all of us desperately need. 
There's a principle in here that we all need, no matter what season of life you're in. There's a principle here that I just want, I want to pull out. So let me read it to you, okay? We're going to back up a few verses so that we just kind of get the context. Um, this is Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord, is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And I'm going to skip a couple of verses. I want to take us to verse seven. It says this, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's closing up his letter here. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Remember, Paul is writing from house arrest, probably in, in Rome and he's writing. So he's far away. He's giving him some updates. And then he says this, he is coming with Onesimus our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Okay, so let me just sit with you in the tension a moment uh, because it would be easy, it would be easy, and many people have said this when they read passages like this, it'd be easy to say, see, that's, I knew it. The Bible is promoting, uh, is promoting patriarchy. It's promoting, you know, Paul is a misogynist. It's, it's promoting um, the subjugation of women. It's endorsing slavery. And it's just this idea that like, you know, God is a man, Jesus is a dude, and women should just stay in the kitchen and that's their realm and just leave the leading to the men. And it's like, oh my gosh, like if the Bible is all about that, then I just, I just don't know if I, can, if I can go there. And it just leaves a lot of people with a really bad taste in their mouth when you just read it, just kind of just surface level. And then for many of us, maybe we don't feel like that as much. Maybe we just feel like, man, I just don't know what to do with these. <laughs> I'm just not really sure. I trust Jesus. I trust the scripture, but I just, I just don't know what to do with passages like this. And so I just want you to know if the Bible has ever been used as a weapon against you, if the Bible has been taken out of context and used to incite racism or push you into an abusive situation or relationship, I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart, and I'm speaking to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That is not what the scriptures are for, and that is not what a faithful steward of the scriptures would, should ever do. And you deserve better. 
If you've ever been pushed by, if some of these passages have been used to like prove, prove something or if, you know, just, uh, just pushed you into something that, you know, that without, without taking time to have compassion, I'm, I'm deeply sorry. That is not a faithful use of, of scripture. That's not God's intention for these passages. So I wanna say that. On the other hand, I wanna, as a pastor, I wanna warn us. I wanna warn us that often we come to scriptures like this with theological conclusions because we're actually disciples of secularism and not disciples of Jesus. And so we see, we see some of these things and we say, man, you know, I like I, that Paul is not saying what I want him to say. Like this whole thing has to be bogus. And so we just, we just take scripture and we twist it and we make it say what we want it to say. And, um, and I just got to tell you that you can't, Jesus will not fit into your sexual or your, your secular theology. He just, he just won't. He's better than that. Jesus is, is more just, he's more amazing. He's better than anything this world could ever come up with on its own. And Jesus won't um, fit into some of our reactive theology. And let me just say this, is when you create a th- theology out of reaction, you'll always create a bad theology. And so we can't, we just have to just let, we just have to let the scriptures do what it needs to do with, with these passages is we just need to let, you know, not take it out of context, but just sit with it and say, all right, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? And not bring our pre-existing ideas into it. What's the scripture saying? Well, we need some context. And um, uh, so I'll address each of these, these people, these people groups that Paul mentions, I'm just going to address it and it's going to be brief. It's going to be incomplete. Um, but I just want to get to this deeper principle that I think Paul is really wanting us to hear in this passage that we're looking at. So um, first, you got to know that what Paul has to say here, um, if you think like some of it is a little bit like, ah, like causes some tension now, in that culture, Paul is literally dropping bombshells. And it's hard for us to really get that. Like, we feel like he's like planting, like, like dropping some bombshells like from our cultural context, but it's nothing compared to their cultural context, what Paul is actually doing. I mean, he is saying some radical, radical things. Some commentators are saying that what Paul is doing is he's sowing seeds of revolution right now sowing seeds of revolution. Now, I'm the same as you probably. Like when I come to passages like this, it's like, Paul, why don't you just like abolish slavery? Like, why don't you just like come in and just be like, look, it's done. Like, why are, like, why are you sp- like speaking? Why are you kind of like feeding that, that whole slavery thing? And so, you know, we would say, man, if I was Paul, I would just end it right there. Because you got to know that Christians eventually over time, they were the ones that that ended it. It was the Christians fueled by the idea of that all men and women, boys and girls, whatever, whatever color, race, whatever it was, is created in the image of God. And Christians took that message and it, it, was, it was the greatest just uh, abolitionist like freedom cry that the world's ever seen. So that was driven by Christians. And so you're wondering like, why doesn't Paul just end slavery right there? And I don't have great answers for you. I think part of it is because um, maybe if Paul would have just been like so radical that it would have worked against his ability to minister the gospel. I, I don't know, but, but what Paul is doing, and you can't miss it, he is sowing seeds of revolution that will spread throughout the entire globe. So um, let's, uh, let's dive in a little bit. So here's some context. The typical family in that culture um, where, where Colossae was, just kind of surrounded by this, by this Roman, it's like a Roman territory. The typical family, um, Roman family of that day was highly patriarchal. It was, 
it was, um, and not just, not just because the culture said it, but it was by law. It was by law that the, that the male, the father was the head of the family. It was called the pater familia. That was the head of the family. And the pater familia, that, that father had rights and privileges that nobody else had in that culture. So the pater familia, the, 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 the father of the house had the right to expose an infant offspring. That means, that means just leave the, the, the child out to die on the street, especially if it was an unwanted female baby. The father had the right to just end a life in his family whenever he wanted to without legal consequence. Um, he could sell his children into slavery. He could administer physical punishment um, to household members, anyone in their household. He, they could divorce their wives for any reason and end the marriages of their children for any reason. They had the right to take the life of their wife, their child, their grandchild, or slave without any legal repercussions. Everything in the house was his property. It was all about him. He had all the power. And what we know is that the early church of Jesus created an alternative culture in the midst of that vision for what family looks like. And it absolutely turned the world upside down. Paul, elsewhere in Galatians, he says these famous words. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So a couple things, let's talk about the wives first. Um, notice, these are just maybe some things that we wouldn't notice on first reading. First of all, notice that Paul addresses them. Let's just take a note that Paul addresses them. And not only does he address them, he addresses them first. This would have been giving them honor and dignity and value in that culture. When all the other household codes was all about, was just all about like the, the father telling everyone what to do, the women are addressed first. And that would, have, that would have bestowed on them this dignity that wasn't normally given to them. But then he says this, he says, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Um, notice that Paul doesn't say that women submit to men. Um, notice that he says wives submit to husbands, which just has to be mentioned because that's abnormal in their day because all women in that culture were supposed to submit to all men around them. But what Paul is doing here is whatever submission, whatever he means by submission, um, he's, uh, he's, it's not a general thing. It's, 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 it's narrow. It's, it's put into this, just this one relationship right here, the husband and the wife, whatever he means by it, it's, it's into just one relationship, not over all of the culture. But what does Paul mean by submission? What does he mean by submission? Um, um, guys, I'm going to take two whole lectures in, in, uh, in January to just dive deep. All right. So you got to come back for that. I know January is far away, but um, it's my contention that what Paul is meaning here is a couple of things. It's voluntary. It's not, it's not involuntary subjugation. It's voluntary. It's an invitation to be a part of a part, to be, to be part of a team partnership. It's not a statement of value. Elsewhere in Ephesians chapter five, if you remember, we're not gonna have time to go there, but Paul starts out that, starts out that household code by saying, submit to one another out of reference for Christ. Our wives supposed to, or I mean, our husbands supposed to submit? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Wives, yes. Oh wait, where both of them are supposed to submit? Yes, and then those, that household code spells out what, what does submission, what does mutual submission mean? 
Um, but what's most striking isn't that Paul was, isn't what Paul says to women. It's what he's about to say next to the men. Okay. So what's funny is that what we think is scandalous in our day is completely opposite from them. We hear, we hear wives submit to, to husbands and we cringe a little bit. Um, but we hear husbands love your wives and don't be harsh. And we're like, oh, that sounds awesome. We love love. Don't we love love? L is for the way you look at me. We love love. You know, like in our culture, it's like, oh, love, that's great. But see, in their culture, in their culture, they would have heard wives submit to your husbands and they would have said like, oh yeah, we've heard that before. Not scandalous or anything new. But what he is about to say next says, talks to the men next. Now think about this. Uh, talks to the men next. He addresses them really three times because he says husbands, fathers, and slave masters. And remember most of the guys that were there would have been all three of those things. <laughs> so he's, he's hitting them on all sorts of level, on all sorts of levels. Um, but first he talks to husbands and he says, husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. This was shocking. This is not found in any other household code in the day. Roman paterfamilias were not invited or expected to love their wives. And especially, you know what the, what the, what the scripture says here? You know what kind of love this is? It's, an, it's, it's literally the word agape, love. This is a self-giving, sacrificial love. Unheard of. I mean, when, when Paul said wives submit to husbands, it would have been a silent room. Everybody would have said, hmm. And Paul says, husbands love your wives. There would have been gasps. That's how, for us, that's how it's supposed to be. Paul says, yes, yes, that's what it's supposed to be. Children, first of all, he's addressing them. He's giving them dignity and value in a culture where children weren't often given that dignity and value. And what does he say? He says, obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. I have yet to meet any adult that has a problem with that verse at all, especially any parents. So your parents are like, that's my favorite verse. I'm gonna get all my kids to memorize this verse, all right? Um, so most of us don't have any problem with this, but you've probably seen a, th- seen a theme already is in these verses, remember he says, children, oh, you know, obey your parents for this pleases the Lord or, or unto the Lord. In the nine verses of this household code, seven times Paul appeals to the Lordship of Jesus. It's a big deal. This is pointing to this deeper principle that we're supposed to get from this. Fathers, he goes next. He says, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Essentially, he's saying, fathers, don't demand too much from your kids and then get on them for not meeting your demands. That's so unfair. They're just gonna turn their hearts away from you and away from the God that you serve. Don't do that. So he says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And then he says, slaves, He talks to slaves. Now, remember, we've talked about this before. Don't have time to get into it, but this was not a race-based kind of slavery that we often have a picture in our heads of just what the horrific things that have happened in every time, in every culture where people have been kidnapped and, you know, and, and because they're another race and forced into slavery, this was not that sort of picture. This was definitely a little bit more of a picture of indentured servitude that servants would work in a house and they could, they could work off. If there was a debt, they could work off their debt. Or if they decided they didn't want to be a servant in this household anymore, they could, they could go and do something else. And so it was, it was a different kind of system. And yet here's what Paul says. First of all, he's addressing them again, no other household code addresses the slaves. It's getting, giving them this dignity that they did not have anywhere else. And what does he say? He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. 
And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. I mean, it's shocking because he's not saying, notice what he's not saying. He's not saying servants, you need to work because your master's the boss. Like it's just, is it what it is? I mean, he's just doing this really, it's seeds of revolution. He's saying, hey, in the current situation that you're in, remember, remember that there's, there's a bigger boss. There's a bigger master. And so that's what, that's ultimately, that's who you're working for. And then he talks to slave owners, slave masters. And then he says this, anyone who's do, who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Why? Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. I love this. You think he's like, you think you're big stuff? Oh no, you're not big stuff. There is someone over you. You are accountable for how you treat um, the, uh, the workers in your home. Um, listen, if you think that Paul doesn't care about the liberation of slaves, then you're missing the seeds of revolution that he's planting here. I've got to take you to this next part that I read. Remember, it's like tacked it on at the end. It's like, why does this matter? It so matters. Remember, he says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And he says this, he is coming with Onesimus. Everybody say Onesimus. Onesimus. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you? They will tell you everything that is happening here. This letter that shows up to the Colossian church, um, this, this letter that we just read, is, comes in the hands of Tychicus, and next to him is a runaway slave named Onesimus. And in Onesimus's hand is an emancipation letter. Paul says, slave masters, do what's right and fair. Don't forget that you have a master as well. And then he says, greet Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. And then they're going to, after they read this letter to the Colossians, they're going to read another letter, an emancipation letter addressed to Philemon. It's in your Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's a very short letter in the New Testament. And apparently, here's the backstory. Philemon is one of the, the church leaders in Colossae. And something happened. He owned this slave named Onesimus. We don't know what happened. Onesimus may have stolen money. Uh, Onesimus may have done something wrong. Onesimus flees and is a runaway slave, runs away. Onesimus ends up being in the service of Paul. And in that time, being under the service of Paul, Onesimus becomes a faithful disciple of Jesus. And then Paul says, I'm going to send you back with this letter to addressed to Philemon. And I want, to, I, and I want, I want him to receive you back as a brother. And then imagine this letter to Philemon is then going to be read to the entire congregation and it's addressed to Philemon. I mean, imagine if I had a sermon and I just wanted to tell Steve something, you know, like Steve, I really got something I need to challenge you on. And so I'm just going to preach the whole sermon and just want everyone to hear what I'm about to tell Steve. All right. Because Steve needs to work on some stuff. I mean, imagine if I did that and that's what's happening here. This letter is being read to the whole, to the whole church. And let me read it to you. I'm just going to read a section of it. Here's Philemon. It's a short book, so I'm reading you most of the book right now. It's a letter. He says, therefore, 
Philemon, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, it is uh, as none other than Paul, me, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you from my son Onesimus, who became, who, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will not seem forced, but will be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done, uh, done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self, Philemon. Oh man, he's laying it on. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And remember, one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in an answer to your prayers. In other words, I'm coming. I'm going to come visit. This better happen. Guys, I, I don't need to defend the Bible. Every liberation and abolition movement is because of the Christian idea of the Imago Dei, the image of God. And because of things like this from the Apostle Paul, you, have to, you just have to know, anytime you come to the scripture and you think you have moral authority over Paul, you don't. If, if, unless you started the greatest liberation abolition movement in, in all of history, you don't. Paul was completely given over to the message of the kingdom, to the message of Jesus, Jesus being the first and truest abolitionist. And what was that message? It's this, Jesus stands up in front of, of uh, in the synagogue with the scroll from Isaiah. And what's the vision? It's that, it's that he wants to break every chain. He wants to break every chain. For Jesus and for Paul, they wanted freedom of the captives. They wanted freedom for all people, for men, women, boys and girls, they wanted freedom. But in their vision, freedom meant that you don't just live however you want, that that actually steals your freedom. For Paul and Jesus, when, it, when they're inv inviting us into freedom, the way that we get that freedom it's by surrender. It's by looking at my life and saying, whatever power, whatever authority I have, I want to, I want to give it away. I want to, I want to give it up. Paul believed that our calling was to be like Jesus, who did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility valued others above themselves, not looking to his own interests, but, but, but looked to the interests of the others. And that we are invited to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped to and used to his own advantage. But rather he became what? Nothing. 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being found and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus and Paul so committed to us being set free. Band, will you come up? I'm, I'm gonna land the plane and I wanna, and I wanna just bring, bring us this principle now that I think Paul's getting at, all right? We're, I wanna close, I want us to respond. Do I still have your attention? Do I got you? I need you for this part because this is, this, is like, this is the best part right here. Is Here's the principle that I think Paul's just, Paul's just, we can miss it if we just read it and we just let it offend us, you know, for whatever, for whatever reason why our culture would be offended, whichever, whatever part of that is the hardest part to swallow. We could miss what Paul's trying to do here. He's trying to do something so profound. He's reminding us that we are a new creation. And because of that, our life is not our own. Your life is not your own. You are created by God. And, and he ransomed you from sin and death. Therefore, the, we, we have to look at our lives as Christ followers and say, this isn't mine. None of this is mine. All of this is unto you, Jesus. We have to recognize that he's given us a mission in the world. And that means that we want our lives to be lived unto Jesus. Unto Jesus. It's about you, Lord. I want my life to preach the gospel. And so here's the principle. Wives, unto Jesus. Husbands, unto Jesus. Moms, dads, unto Jesus. Children, unto Jesus. Slaves, unto Jesus. Slave masters, unto, unto Jesus. It's unto Jesus. It's his. If you find yourself in a, in a place where you're just oppressed and pushed down, unto Jesus, unto Jesus. If you're in a position where you have power, unto Jesus, unto Jesus. It isn't yours to do whatever you wanna do with it. It's, it's, it's unto Jesus. Bosses, unto Jesus. Employees, unto Jesus. Single people, unto Jesus. Your physical bodies, unto Jesus. Your finances, Unto Jesus. Do you get the principle here? It's what Paul is just pushing us into. Imagine, imagine if we as Christ followers would live our lives just out in our normal, in our normal everyday lives, when everyone's just trying to hold on to everything and accumulate more and have more power and just be in charge of everything. What if Christians just went out with a different picture? of what their marriage could look like. Marriage is in the room. Don't have a marriage that looks like the Roman marriages. Have a marriage that's, that's unto Jesus. Parenting, whatever, whatever else the world says about parenting, listen, as Christ followers, guess what? 
We need to be parents in a manner that preaches the gospel unto Jesus, unto Jesus. If we could do that, people would see Christ followers and they would say, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but there's something about what they got going on there. How do you, how do you guys forgive each other so well? How do you guys get along so well? How do you guys work through difficulties so well? How do you, how do you have these relationships where you're mutually submitted, where, where it's not just about you, but it's about deferring to the others? Like, where, how in the world do you have families and congregations where, where there's not this disparity between rich and poor, between, between black and white, between male and female? It's like, how do you even do that? Where, where do you get that from? And we want our cry to be unto Jesus unto Jesus. I'll pray. Father, we, um, our cry tonight is unto Jesus. That we would be marked by that cry. We'd have the courage to just surrender and give our lives to you. Help us do it because doesn't come naturally to us. We, we, we want it to be under me. We want it to be under my group, under, under you know, my, my family. It's, it's me this and my this. And Lord, would you just work? I, would you just confront that in us tonight? Lord, would you just help this cry get so deep in our hearts that it's just, it's what our whole lives are lived out of. It's, it's under Jesus. It's under you. It's under you. It's all because of you. It's not mine. I don't hold on to my rights. I don't hold on to my power. It's, it's just, it's under you. I kneel, I yield, I surrender. And in that surrender, Lord, I know that you have promised freedom from every chain. Lord, we pray that as Christ followers, Lord, our marriages would be marked by this beautiful picture of the gospel. That, our, that our, the way we handle our finances would be marked by this. The way that we do everything would be marked by this. Would you help us tonight? We worship you and we respond to you. In Jesus' name. Can we stand to our feet?